That is truly one of the great songs that's been written, I think, for God's people to sing and remind ourselves of the great love of God and how much we love Him and how much we long for that day when we will be with Him and singing our praises to Him and, and reminding Him in song of how much we love Him and how, how we marvel at His love for us. Amen? That'd be a good moment for an amen, I think. Yes, it would. Hey, we're, um, we're excited about the fact that uh, last Sunday evening, our church called uh, Nick Doyle and his family to come and be with us on our pastoral staff, and uh, what a great evening it was, and uh, so Nick will be, will be joining us, Lord willing, uh, beginning his ministry sometime in, the early, in early August, and uh, there are a few things that need to be taken care of, and you can be praying about that, these things, like selling a house in St. John, New Brunswick, and buying a house here in the the Durham region. So be in prayer about that so his family can move here and we can get get going in the whole area of uh, boosting our ministry in the young adult area of uh, Calvary and uh, and the Durham region and and wherever God leads us and our our campus at the university and all that ministry as well. So it's it's been a great great, uh, couple of weeks and, and I'm sure you're rejoicing in what God has done. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father and our God, we... We are here this morning marveling together at your love for us because we recognize when we look at the person in the mirror that it is truly gracious of you and marvelous of you and amazing of you that you would love us and that you would care for us and that you would be so patient with us. Our Father, I want to thank you this morning from the bottom of my heart that you are our God that you love us, that Christ is our Savior, that the Holy Spirit indwells us, leads us, leads us into truth and teaches us, motivates our hearts to please you. And so our Father, this morning as we begin a new series, we recognize that there are times in our lives when we run from your truth. We run from your presence. We demonstrate that we don't deserve your grace or your love or your kindness or your patience. But Father, you love us anyway with a a resolute love. And so our our God, we want to thank you and we we want to ask you this morning to shape our hearts by your word because we know that you're in your word are the words of life and light and love and the right way to live. So our God, I pray that you would take us on this journey by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Jonah? I don't know how to tell you where to find that other than it's somewhere in the midst of the minor prophets. Minor prophets with major messages. I would tell you the page number, but it wouldn't help you. It's 848 in my Bible. Give it a shot. It might work in yours. I don't know. Otherwise, sneak a peek in the index. Don't let anybody see you doing that. Or just get something electronic 
and then everybody will think you really know what you're doing. Jonah, one, one, shazam, there it is. Something good about that. I'm not sure about mixing that word with the Bible, but anyway, here we go. Hey, listen, I think we all know that, that how we handle a request or a instruction or a command from a person has everything to do with the level of relatedness we have to that person. Now, for instance, if I, if I come out of my house and go out to the middle of the street and call out, um, cut my lawn, I'm not expecting that I'm going to get much of a response. I have no expectation that anyone on the street is going to do anything about it. But if, on the other hand, I shout that statement to my son, Jordan, <laughs> I should get a different response. Is that true? It has to do with his identity. His identity as my son. If I ask him to do something, if I give him my word on something, I speak my word to him, I expect a response from him because of his identity. A general question like, who are you, can be answered in a variety of ways. On a, day, a weekend like this, I am a Canadian. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a husband. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, that means then, if that identity is true and Jesus says to do something or go somewhere, then does it not stand to reason that I, if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I should respond to that and follow him? Identity is never legitimate until, in fact, it is tested by someone's word to you. So let me then, if you're following along, ask or mention this. When God interrupts our way with his word... It is always first an identity question, regardless of what the word is. And that question is, who are you really? I mean, we can identify ourselves any way we like. But the real test of our identity hinges on what we do with God's word. And so this morning... As we begin this series in the book of Jonah, when God's word comes to us, we're going to learn something about ourselves and about God. Jonah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Jonah, a prophet. Go or literally, arise and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, it says in the original, arose and fled from the Lord and headed down for Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord's presence. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, 
and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the presence of the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But Jonah, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Well, this is one of those stories that uh, most people have heard something about. The great fish, the great fish swallowing a man, Jonah. The story of Jonah is known to most. This is the word of God. But I want to look at this morning five things we can learn from this first chapter. We'll attempt to resist the temptation to finish the story and move on to the story because I want to do that over the next several weeks. But you'll notice right from the get-go here, the word of God comes. Arise and go. It wasn't hard to understand. Arise and go. Preach to Nineveh. Preach to the Assyrians. It's not hard to understand. Very simple request of God. A very normal request of a prophet. That's what prophets did. They went and they preached to places on behalf of God. This was a normal job description of a prophet. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. He arose and fled from the presence of God. The simple truth is, number one, that we don't regularly want God or God's will. We say it that way, well, I'm not sure that, that I really like God's will. But we can take off the will part and say we're regularly not wanting God. We can believe what we want about ourselves, but the proof is in our follow-through. We'd like to believe, you know, as we think about prophets, we'd like to believe that I'm a Daniel or, or I'm an Isaiah or a Jeremiah or an Ezekiel or a Joseph. 
But I think as I study this and as I understand a little bit about human nature and a little bit about my own heart, the truth is that we're really Jonah's. For the most part, that's who we are. Or we've gone through something of a Jonah experience in our lives. Now, if you have read this story, you'll, you'll understand that, that part of the challenge is the reason we aren't really all in as disciples of Christ is because we don't want that much of what God means by discipleship. I mean, Disciple 101 is love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. Yeah, that's, that's the command of God. That's the word of God to us. Discipleship 101. Love your enemies. That means in your life, loving the person who has hurt you deeply, has trashed you, has abused you, and there may no may be no likelihood in the horizon of that changing. And I'm expected to follow through on that? Or there's a way that we want to live? And if I hear God's word over and over again, it convicts me. Because I don't want to hear his word to me. That the way that I'm living is wrong. And so I flee or attempt to flee from the presence of God. You you need to know that that Jonah here was boarding a ship that he found that was heading to the farthest extreme of the west that was known to them. Tarshish was in Spain. He basically went down to the, the port and said, give me a ticket to the farthest place away from this place. And someone gave him a ticket and said, well, the farthest place that there is, the edge of the map, is Tarshish. You see, it was in the temple where the prophet would get the word of God. And in fact, he was fleeing, literally, from the voice of God so that he couldn't hear God anymore. And the question comes up is, if you flee from the presence of God, if you run away from God, Does he stop calling? It's like the old question in the forest. If a forest, if a tree falls down a forest and no one's there to hear it, did it not make a sound? And so he's on this ship, fleeing from the presence of God, hoping that if he goes away, he won't hear this convicting message anymore. Lots of people run away from church for the same reason. Maybe I won't hear the message of God anymore. And if I don't hear it, then maybe I don't have to act on it. And then there's always the possibilities that we suspect that, that God would ask us to go to where we least want to go. If I, if I really, really throw my life fully into God and become a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know what will happen. He'll send me somewhere that, that I don't want to go. He'll ask me to do an assignment that I don't want to do. We always suspect that that will be what God will do. And so we try not to listen to him. We'd rather bury our talent than have to do something uncomfortable with it. 
Because after all, as the parable goes and Jesus, record, or Jesus reports it, people tend to think that God is a hard taskmaster. Or maybe we've been disappointed with God. You just got chewed out in church by the person who was just awarded the best part in the Christmas play. And you're like, what is the point of serving God? I'm just going to run from his presence. As we'll find out later on in the text, Jonah wasn't afraid to go and preach to Nineveh. He hated the Ninevites. He hated the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the avowed enemy of Israel. And so this Jewish prophet is going to go into the great city of Nineveh and proclaim a message of salvation, of repentance? I don't think so. Love my enemies as myself? You got to be kidding, God. Go get somebody else to do that. I'm not going to be the uh, middleman in some sort of love transaction you have with my enemy. No way. We all better know something about this idea of running away from God's message. When you are running away from God, you forfeit your opportunity to call on him for blessing. Do you understand that? And you put a lot of people at risk around you. If you'll notice in verse 6, the captain goes to him and says, why don't you get up and pray like the rest of us? Get up. Call on your God. He didn't even want to talk to God. He didn't want to hear from God. He didn't want to talk to God. What's more, he really couldn't pray. He couldn't ask God for blessing. How could he go to his God now and ask him for blessing when he knew full well that he was in a state of obedience, a disobedience, running from the word of God? He had no authority to come before God now and ask, oh God, please bless me. Bless me as I go on a journey that is absolutely opposite to what you want me to do. How many times have we heard Christians say that? They come and say, well, you know what? I, I know that this is really not the way God would want it, but I know it's going to make me happy, and, and I'm going to go, would you pray for me? I'd say, I'm not praying for you. The only thing I will pray for you is that you will turn and repent from the way you're going and go back to God. There is no blessing available to God's people on the run from God. Do you understand that? Do you understand the peril that this is talking about? And not only that, you put a bunch of people around you at risk. Isn't that what happened? The worst passenger that these people took on was Jonah. The ship would have been fine if Jonah wasn't on it. It would have been smooth sailing to Tarshish. But Jonah was on the ship. When you abandon God's will in favor of your own direction, it isn't an optional alternative. It is always downward. The, this text is purposely written for us to see this, but sometimes we don't. You can see the words as they unfold, starting at verse 3. As soon as he runs away from God and heads to Tarshish, it says he went down to Joppa. 
And then he goes down below the deck in verse 5 and lays down and continues to go down, 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 down into the water, down into the fish's belly. There is no up when you are turning in the wrong direction from God. It's always down, 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 down. Could it get much worse? As he's on the boat there, sleeping in the hull, and, 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 and the boat is rocking, can it get worse? Yes, it can get worse. You can get thrown overboard. Can it get worse than that? Yes, you can, it can get worse. You can get eaten by a fish. It can get worse when you're running away from God. It can always get worse. There's a second thing I notice here. By the way, if you're running from God... The God of the sea, as he labeled him, I don't advise you taking a cruise ship. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean he identifies, he says, who are you? And Jonah identifies himself as, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the God of heaven, the maker of the sea and the land. Can I have a ticket, please, to go out in the sea? Not a good idea. It's futile to run from a sovereign God. Where can you run and hide from God? There's a second thing I notice here. It has to do with the sailors that are on this ship. The fact is, the prophet was unwilling to evangelize. I think we could entitle this book, God Employs the Worst Evangelist Ever. That's what I think this, text could be, this, this book could be entitled. God employs the worst evangelist ever. We mostly all start out this way. You, like Jonah, might be unwilling to engage in the general call to evangelize until the plight of desperate lostness touches you personally. What was Jonah's problem? He didn't know the Ninevites. He didn't care about the Ninevites. As I said, he, he hated the Ninevites. They were Syrians. They were enemies. He had no friends. He had no personal contact. They were just random, generic people to him. But he ends up in a boat with some sailors. Some real, live, flesh and blood people whose lives were now at risk because of his disobedience to God. A, a prophet's supposed to care about people. A, a prophet is supposed to evangelize people. A prophet is supposed to go and proclaim the message of God to people. It's an identity issue. That's our identity. What was the last statement that, God gave, that the Lord Jesus gave us as our identity? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. What did he say as he was ascending to heaven? You will be my witnesses. Witnesses proclaiming the truth about the king of kings. Who the king is. What his kingdom is all about. That's your identity and my identity. That's what we're called to do. Yet regularly, 
we don't have a real heart to do that. We don't have a desire to do that. It has something possibly to do with the fact that that we don't know people up close and personal. God could have just got another prophet. Or at least one who cared. Or maybe one who at least obeyed. But God is not seeking simply an activist heart. He's seeking a changed heart. Something started to happen in Jonah as you're looking through this story. And it doesn't happen until we get to the place where they wake him up, they stir him, and he sees how terrified they are and how much their lives are at risk because Jonah really didn't care about his life at this point. I mean, we know that because he said, go ahead, throw me into the sea. He's not expecting to live. He doesn't care. But then he sees people. Real live people. People who he's kind of hung out for, with for a bit. On a ship. And something happens to, starts to stir in his heart. It, it, that this prophet with a death wish. And I think he starts to ask himself the question, do I let these people die, these men in the ship? And so they ask him, you know, what, what, what's the deal? Why have you run? What have you done? Why are you running away from God? The sea's getting rougher and rougher. What should we do? They're, they're, they're in peril. They're, they're, they're desperately terrified. What should we do to cause the sea to, to become calm again? Something happened in his heart or was starting to happen in his heart. He says, pick me up and throw me overboard. I know these men now. And he's asking the question of his heart, do I sacrifice myself for them? That's the first step toward an evangelist heart, toward caring about those who are lost. You can see as we study this this morning, the progression that God is going to make in this man's life. To ready him to be an evangelist. To ready him to go and take the message. God was giving him different eyes. God was giving him the eyes of God. Do we realize that people are not generic to God? They're not just the masses to him. God knows everybody. God cares about every... If there's any verse in the Bible that teaches us something about the fact that we should have an international passion for the lost, it is, for God so loved the world. Everybody. God cares about everybody. And he was trying to help Jonah to see that, Jonah, you see, when you're in a boat with a few guys that are really terrified and their lives are in peril and they're going to perish, you see how you care a little bit? That's the kind of heart God has. He looks upon the masses, terrified, turning their backs on the living God. And he has compassion for them. His heart goes out to them. The reason that the evangelistic message exists at all is because God cares about people. The reason that he left us this great commission is because he cares about people. He's not looking to give us a job to do. Somehow we're going to be activists so we'll be busy and not bored. 
It's about the fact that he really, really cares. And he will go to, to the extremes to turn our hearts into caring hearts. But there are some other things that have to happen. It seems to me that Jonah hated his assignment, as you know, because he hated his target audience. He didn't think they deserved to be saved. Now, I know that's just been put out there by me, and you're all like, wow, how horrible. I can't even imagine that. If we reflect upon it for a little bit and sit and think about it for a little bit, it may very well have crossed our hearts and our minds. That person is so bad. That person has been so rotten to me. That person is likely to continue to be rotten to me. So much so that they don't even deserve to be saved. Beloved, can I tell you something? Denial of yourself won't come until you finally are forced into denying about yourself. What Jonah was going to learn is that God has multiple targets for his salvation. And he could do a better job of evangelism himself. Would we all agree with that? Would we all agree that God could do a better job of evangelizing himself? I think we have universal agreement in here on that. But our God gives us the task of evangelism regularly that he might demonstrate to us who we really are, reveal ourselves from denial of truth to self-revelation. I thought I was better than that. You know, I wonder if it crossed Jonah's mind for one second, having been a prophet, employed as a prophet, and he turns and hightails it at this assignment of evangelism. I wonder if, he's, as he got on the boat, I wonder if he thought, you know what, I thought I was better than that. And so these men ask him, who are you? Who are you really? That's the question that is asked of us. We, we don't love God enough, you see, because we hold on to the idea that we are really worthy of his love because we are so personally, personally lovable and valuable. Why wouldn't God love me? I understand my salvation. I'm strategic for the kingdom. Of course God would want somebody like me in the kingdom. But I'm not so certain about that guy down the street. What does he bring to the table? What does she bring to the table? In fact, why would God want to reach out to that person? And so you have Jonah looking at this other group of people and believing that he deserved the mercy that he had received, but that they surely didn't deserve it. I, I'm convinced that until we come to the place that we honestly wonder why God would even care about us, we will never really care about others. And we will run from service.
I think as Jonah started to describe himself to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the God of heaven. That's the same word we use for worship. I, I think as the words came out of his lips, he was thinking, what in the world am I saying? I worship the living God, the God of heaven? I'm surely not representing that very well today. And I think as the words came out of his mouth, the God of the sea and the God over the land, I think he was thinking to himself, and I'm not really all that great. I'm a lousy prophet. Oh, it's not recorded that way. But how could he not think that? I'm a runaway. I'm not all in for God's vision. I'm certainly not into the level he's calling me to. The reason we can't get to self-denial is because we believe that we deserve what we have received. But Jonah's heart, as I said, was changing. And when he got to the final parts of the description of himself, he finally looked at the men and said, It's my fault. It's my fault. Not my grandparents. Not my parents. Not that mean teacher who didn't like me. Not that thoughtless sister of mine. I'm the one running from God's word. It's me. I'm responsible. Salvation begins in our lives when we finally face the fact that we're all not that, we're not all that. That we truly don't deserve the, the favor of God. That we truly don't deserve his patience and his mercy and his grace and his salvation. When we finally can look at the man in the mirror and say, Hey, you know what? I didn't deserve the least of God's favor. I'm responsible. I was, I was guilty. That we can finally turn our eyes and look at other people who are lost who don't understand God, who don't want God, who treat people in a, in a nasty way and look at them and say, that was me. I used to be that. And, and if, I, if I didn't get to that state, that's where I would have gone except for the grace of God. Jonah needed to, to finally come to the place where he would realize, I am an Assyrian. Or I would have become an Assyrian except for the grace of God. Unless the great message of God's truth had come to me by God's grace, I would have been them. We will never get to the place that Jesus has asked us to get to in discipleship whereby we deny ourselves. Until we kind, finally come to the place of denial about ourselves. Salvation begins when we face the truth that all the trappings around us are really results of running. We run, you know, because we'd rather listen to our own voice. Or the voice of people around us who are distracted by many things pretending to be okay. And so we say, we believe Jesus' words but we don't want to obey them. 
and we would rather bring a message of outrage and criticism to lost people than a message of mercy and grace. When self is finally drowned in the sea of personal futility, we are on the way to being shaped by and into God's purposes. And so he looks them in the face and says, throw me overboard. I'm the one who doesn't deserve the mercy of God. I'm the one who doesn't deserve his grace. So chuck me out. You all deserve better than that. And so these men, faced with this dilemma now, it says, did their best to row back to land. They had heard the word of God. When a prophet spoke, he was speaking to them the word of God. Throw me overboard. But they took it upon themselves to try and save themselves instead of listen to the word of God. What they maybe forgot to pay attention to is that Jonah had said to them, I fear the God of heaven, the maker, the one over the sea and the land. And so as they're trying to row to the land, they forgot that not only is he the God of the sea, but he's the God of the land too. And if you're having trouble on the sea, you ain't going to get to the land if God doesn't want you to get there either. And so they tried. And they demonstrate the plight of everyone trying in their own strength and through their own effort to save themselves even though they've heard the word of God on how they could be saved. And so the sea grows wilder and wilder and they cry out to the great I am Oh Lord, please do not let us die taking this man, for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. They finally surrendered their lives to God's will. Throw the man overboard. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord. Are you looking at this? Sailors who had been praying to a variety of gods are now greatly worshiping the great I am. Same word, feared, worshipped. Greatly worshiping the great I am. And they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They've now been converted to the God of heaven, the maker of the sea and the land. But, Jonah, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now listen. Here's the great message for us. For anyone who's ever disobeyed God or who will disobey God. Disobedience doesn't disqualify us or halt God's purposes. It just brings unnecessary pain. I, I think the question for all of us as we're reading along in this story and we, if we don't know the whole story, we're asking the question, is the mission to Nineveh lost? He's now in the sea. The prophet, the preacher, the one who was going to go and speak the word of God to the, the Ninevites, the Assyrians. Is that, is that plan done? 
Are, are, is that great people then lost forever? Because of one disobedient, reluctant, rebellious, lousy prophet? Our great fears in life are that the actions of someone in our life can completely alter God's purposes for us. So the question remains outstanding. Can someone else's sinful disobedience change God's good purposes for you? Because that's an important question. I mean, Nineveh was a good idea, but I guess this punk prophet has now altered history. Like some sort of time traveler who reluctantly stepped into the universe and fatally changed the cause and effect of everything. Wait a second. God is the cause and effect of everything. When we struggle to trust or to agree with God's purposes, the storm will reveal what is real, even when we caused it. And God's mercy sometimes has to be forced on us before we appreciate it. Here's what we learn. Disobedience does not necessarily disqualify in fact, if there's anything we learn in this particular story, it's that God is relentless in his pursuit of our hearts. When we belong to him, he reaches into our disobedient lives and refuses to let us go. We don't have a God who bypasses and says, next, next, bring me the next prophet, bring me the next preacher, bring me the next teacher, bring me the next usher. I've got more where that came, came from. That's not the God we serve. The God we serve is, is committed to our lives, committed to shaping us. The, yes, the task was to go and proclaim the gospel to Nineveh. But God's program included sailors on a ship, a disobedient servant prophet, and lost people over in Nineveh. And the magnanimous, broad heart of God has room for all of those projects. That's the good news to me and should be the good news to you. When you get the phone call from someone in your family, they say, hey, you know what? I don't want anything to do with God anymore. I don't want anything to do with God's will anymore. I'm heading out. And your world starts to collapse and cave in. The question is, is, is this person's disobedience going to completely alter my world? Is it over for me and the good purposes of God and for them? Is that it? Is that the end? The Lord provides a great fish to swallow Jonah so he would be rescued from himself. And be transported, transported safely in God's salvation submarine.
my preference generally as a knee-jerk reaction is just to bypass an obstacle. You want to be an obstacle? I'll just bypass you. I am so glad that that's not the heart of our God. Our God is not into bypassing people. He's into transforming disobedient people into servants of His. And so you have this fish that swallows Jonah. And I find that God is equally resolute, finally, about his task and his journey to the task. There's no limit to which he will go to reconcile people to himself. What should we do, the sailors ask? They tried to save themselves. The big surprise to all of us is that God could use a disobedient prophet to bring salvation to a ship full of sailors who once called out to their own random gods and are now fearing the living God. So listen to me. Whether you obey or disobey, salvation is of the Lord. But I recommend highly, because it's less painful, that you obey the living God. He will work his task, and it will be you. Even as a protesting prophet, Jonah's used of God for salvation fruit. And God uses, rather than a different prophet, the same prophet changed. One of those great verses in the Word of God, Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the God we serve. You can run, but you can't hide. You can disobey, but God will not bypass you. You can say no to an assignment, and he will change you and take you to that assignment regardless. The question that is in front of all of us is, how painless do you want life to be? Jonah seemed to want to take it the hard way. And I say as we uh, embark upon this series, why not take it the easy way? God wants reconciliation with people not forced obedience. He wants to make a God-hearted person, not just an activist. The task was repentance of a great city in Nineveh, but not in the absence of the renovation of a heart of one disobedient, reluctant prophet. That's who our God is. And I trust that that God is your God. Your identity is determined by how you re res respond to God's word. Father, I pray this morning with thanksgiving that you have launched us into this uh, soul-searching uh, life of a reluctant prophet. And as we pick up lessons along the way, Father, I pray that this morning we will recognize your amazingly gracious heart. When we turn 180 degrees and run the opposite direction you don't bypass us you dip into your toolkit of incredible resourcefulness and turn our heart around so I pray father that you would find in us that kind of people for your glory's sake I pray in Jesus name amen what an encouraging reality that is. Listen, Nineveh, Nineveh was on God's to-do list.
But not until out of his amazing resourcefulness beyond reason, he reached down into a rebellious heart and started to tweak it and change it. And maybe you're that heart. Or maybe someone has broken your heart close to you because they've turned from God's will. Maybe someone has made that call to you that they're turning away from God's will and leaving you holding the bag or leaving you with nothing. Take heart. What this event promises to us is that God will accomplish his good purposes in your life and in the life of rebellious people because he is a God who reconciles people to himself. That's what he does. He doesn't bypass us. He transforms us. So be encouraged. Be encouraged in your life. God's story is still ongoing. Trust him. He'll turn things around. He can cause amazing things to happen. Don't give up. Don't give up praying. Don't give up holding up, holding out. God will change things. Our Father and our God, I thank you that you are a God who takes our disobedience and turns it around. Lord, I thank you you don't disqualify us, but you hold us and you pursue us. Lord, we wouldn't even be saved if you didn't pursue us. And you continue to pursue us because the one who has begun a good thing will be faithful to complete it against that day until Christ Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for that truth. And may God's people be encouraged and hold out. Hold out in a time of, of pain and suffering when others around have caused the boat to rock. Oh, God. Because you, you, oh, God, love us and care for us and will bring us back to your good purposes. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.